Would you stand with me this morning, congregation? It's so good to be gathered with you here this morning to exalt Jesus. We're going to do our declaration together. Let's say it today. Don't just say it with me. Believe it with me. Amen. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare, we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. I pray for power in our pastor this morning, anointing in our pastor this morning, and authority to speak your word. And I pray this congregation would open their hearts and their souls to hear what you have to say today. I pray once again for power, God. Unleash your power on this place and your spirit. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We'll, we'll uh, read the Word of God, but it's going to be a little lengthy. Um, we're going to get right into the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Zechariah, chapter 1, verse 17 through 21. How many enjoyed our evangelist that we had last week? Amen. Then we have a wonderful time of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. There's no sense in why that can't continue. We got to continue allowing what God's doing to continually to happen. Zechariah chapter 1, starting with verse 17, the Bible says, Cry, yet saying, This saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, talking about the church, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Then lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. And then said I, What cometh these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these, talking about the carpenters, are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Let's get right into the word this morning. This morning, I want to try to pick up, pick up where I left off a few Sundays ago. When we were talking about the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding into the walls of Jerusalem. And we talked about how that God, first of all, built his temple before he built his walls. And that was significant that God did not want the people to be the protector of the people, but God wanted his presence to be the protector of the people. We talked about that. How many knows that the presence of God is like a wall of fire around about us? How many knows that the presence of God, according to the New Testament, is the seal of the Holy Spirit, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise? How many knows that he is our buckler, our shield, our fortress, our mighty tower, our high tower. He's whatever he needs to be. His presence is what protects us. And we talked about how that the walls of Jerusalem were the perimeters. They were the boundaries. They were the priorities that we set for our lives. They are the structure that governs us. And again, let me just remind you, you cannot set proper structure without the presence of God being the architect of that. He has to be leading you. It has to be the spirit of God that leads us and directs us in building our, our, our convictions and our structure and the priorities of our lives. But here in Zechariah chapter 1, we see an introduction to a second vision of Zechariah in a non-series vision that God had given him. As we look at vision number 2, we see that it involves four horns and four carpenters. Now, we're not going to be able to talk about all of that in detail. I've got a lot. I'm going to be skipping some of this. And I don't know. I asked the Lord to help me today because I, there's no way I can get through all of this message here this morning. But look at verse 18 with me for a moment. The Bible says, Then I lifted up my eyes and I saw, behold, four horns. Now in the Bible, horns are a symbol or a type of power. We know that. The power may be positive, but that power may be also negative. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 21, God declares that he will, he will cause the horn of the house of Israel to spring forth. In Psalms 18, God himself declares his faithfulness and mercy and he 
says, I will be with David, and in his name, his horn shall be exalted. We see two things out of those two scriptures. First of all, it is here that it is noted that David himself was considered to be a horn of God. Now, this would not be uh, talking about him just being a musician who would begin to play the horns under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but he would be a horn of power himself. He would be a giant killer. He would be a giant slayer, and he would be one of the greatest kings that Israel would ever have. Also, this scripture tells us in the book of Ezekiel that Israel also was considered a horn, a a powerful nation, a nation of strength, and that nation still is one of the most powerful nations on the face of the earth. Matter of fact, everybody wants to gloat about nuclear power. Everybody wants to know about America power, and we have that. Thank God for it, for our protection. But the greatest nation on the face of the earth is Israel because God says Israel is mine and I've got to watch over Israel and the power of God is the security of Israel. Can I have an amen? But then of course we see the greatest horn of all and it is our Messiah. It is Jesus Christ. He is called the horn of salvation. All power and all glory and all might and all honor is to be given unto his name. I love it when you just study the scripture in Exodus 27 and 2 that there are horns that the brazen on the brazen altar in the tabernacle of Moses. And you've heard about how that the priest would have to go and different ones would have to go and hang hold of the horns of the altar. Their attachment, those horns attachment to the altar meant the acceptable sacrifice held back by the power of God as the judgment of sin. In other words, it represented Christ, the great highest priest and the blood that was, that was, that was presented there. There is a true horn of salvation that can forgive sin and hold back the power of judgment. Aren't you glad of that? Give the Lord praise here for that. Amen. Oh, I got to preach. I feel like preaching this morning. We also have an example of evil horns. The Antichrist himself is described as a little horn that rises up out of four other horns in Scripture, which represents four other nations. And notice that there is a reoccurrence of the number of four in Scripture when talking about both good horns and evil horns. Numerologists say that four is the number of government, both sacred and both sacred both sacred and secular. Both the natural and the spiritual realms are governed by the number four. Now hang with me, I'm building a sermon. The round earth on which you and I live called planet earth is thought of, and you've heard them talk about the four corners of the earth. You hear how Israel was scattered to the four corners of the earth. How that God would bring them in from the four corners of the earth. Well these four corners represent the uttermost, the whole, or the entire, that which encompasses even all of his extremities. So when we talk about the horns of Satan himself, we're not talking about four real horns or one little horn as well, but them horns represent the power of the presence of darkness, the power of intimidation, the power of hindrance that encompasses the whole atmosphere of the planet because how many knows that the devil is the prince and the power of the air? So even as I speak right now, there is a prince in the power of the air that is out here to hinder and to buffet and to try to stop what God wants to do to happen in this place. Oh, from one end of the earth to the other, he's out there throwing his seeds of discord, coming against the body of Christ, coming against God's chosen people, coming against God's chosen nations, and he's trying to kill, to steal, and destroy. But nevertheless, these four horns in our text represent four powerful nations that came against the nation of Israel in the city of Jerusalem that was what empowered by what we call the devil, the dragon, the serpent, Satan himself. And they come, when did they come? Right after that God had promised prosperity and comfort to the people so that they could spread abroad his goodness. Here's God and he says, I'm gonna bless Jerusalem. I'm gonna do all of these marvelous things that we'll get into a little bit later. And the moment that he speaks it, here comes these four horned nations rising up to put a stop to what God has decreed. Now specifically the horns here are the nations that have risen against Israel we know. They are Assyria who scattered and destroyed the ten northern tribes. And Babylon is the other one who took Judah into captivity and destroyed Jerusalem. So we know that them are two of those horns. And these horns represent the nations that will always stand against God. That he's talking about these horns of offense. These horns of uh, uh, 
of opposition. Folks, right now, there is horns, powers, spirits, principalities, rulers of darkness in the atmosphere that is opposing you, trying to stop you, and trying to hinder you from receiving everything that God's got for you. Can I have an amen? Take these horns are referenced to the subsequent nations that take a godless and antichrist posture, resulting in persecution of the righteous. I want to tell you, I want to tell you there are sheep nations and there are goat nations. The sheep nations are nations that are, are governed or at least have a sense of morality that is governed by God. And then there are goat nations that are opposing God in every move. How many knows that there are whole nations that is anti-God? Amen. And these powers attempt to shut down the city of God that is set upon the hill. They despise spiritual things. They hate right, uh, righteous activity and they hate uh, spiritual beliefs. They oppose and take in opposition to that which is wholesome and good. And we're seeing that in operation everywhere we go. Anything good's being attacked. Anything wholesome, anything right. There are things that's going on in our country that I would think, how in the world can people even not see that this is ungodly? godly and this is wrong. It blows my mind that they're able to be all right to get up and on a, and behind a political platform and literally say it's all right to have a baby and if you don't like it, you can abort it even after death. Something is wrong. It's called demonic. It's demonic spirits working in our land and people can vote for such people. The body of Christ, some of them are voting for such people. Help us in America. We are being deceived. Can I have an amen? I got to get off of that or I'll chase a rabbit all day long. But they oppose and they are fighting us and everywhere we go, anything wholesome, anything right, anything righteous. And nowadays, if you hold to any kind of a standard, you're a nut, you're a fanatic, you're a radical, you're unloving, you're a bigot, you're, you're, a, you're prejudiced. I want to tell you, it has nothing to do with that. It's about being right with God. Amen. Can I have an amen? But as soon as God decreed prosperity, these four horns of resistance rose up to shut God's people down. That's what happened in our text. Did you know that God has decreed a word over his church here this morning? God has decreed a word over this church right here today. How do I know that? Because it's written in Matthew 16, 18. Are we a part of the blood-bought church? Are we a part of the New Testament church? If we are, say hallelujah. Then this is a word to every one of us. And that is upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That tells me that the gates of hell cannot shut down the palace of praise. The gates of hell cannot shut down your home. The gates of hell cannot shut down your children. The gates of hell cannot steal or kill or destroy your, your offspring. The gates of hell cannot rob you of your spiritual joy. The gates of hell cannot rob you of your prosperity. The gates of hell cannot rob you of your blessing. The gates of hell cannot stop you from succeeding and excelling and being great in God. Can I have an amen? Oh, I'm about to. I don't want to shake it off, but I want it to hang on.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your way. Those of you that may be new to Pentecost, that's what we call tongues interpretation. Don't have time to explain it. Got to get in the Word. Did you know that there's also God, did you know that God has also decreed a word over you this morning? Every single one of you that are Christians, God's decreed a word over you this morning. It's found in the book of Jeremiah 29, 11. That wasn't just for Jeremiah, that was for all of us. And it's this, for I know my thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. That's a decreed word over every single one of you. So why do we sit here and, and, and frowning and wondering where God's at? God's with you. Yeah. Amen. God has decreed prosperity over the saints. God wants us to prosper. I'm not being one of these prosperity preachers in the sense that if you go out here and sow $100, you're going to get a jet tomorrow. But I am here to tell you that it's time to understand that God wants to prosper his people both mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, every which way around. God wants you to prosper. Third John verse two, he said, beloved, I wish above all things that thou wouldest prosper and be in good health even as your souls prosper. He wants us in good health. He wants us to prosper mentally. He wants us to prosper physically. He wants us to prosper emotionally. He wants us to prosper in every single aspect of our lives. There is a spirit that is in this church right now rising up an army and we gotta be whole and we gotta be strong and we gotta be mighty because God's about to do something in this congregation that's gonna blow this region apart. Hallelujah. Oh, you can praise him louder than that. Hallelujah. God desires to bless us and he has been blessing us, blessing us. And he's, he's desiring to enlarge us and he wants us to spread our tent stakes and enlarge, enlarge our boundaries, so to speak, spiritually. God's wanting to blow this place apart. God wants to enlarge our territory as he did Israel's. Here God speaks restoration, reconciliation, and resolve. And there's sometimes, folks, before you can be reconciled and before you can be restored, you gotta resolve some things. We all gotta resolve things, all of us. Even after we have somewhat been restored, there are times that God does not deal with every single issue that brought you down because we could not handle it if he dealt with every single one of those issues. Can I have an amen? amen? And I'm here to tell you that there are times when God begins to speak to us and say, it's time for us to have a talk. It's time for us to have resolve. What does the resolve mean? Settle some issues. Settle some things. Get some things in the open that's hidden in darkness. Get some of those attitudes. Get some of those feelings. Get some of those hurts. Get some of those emotions, those, those things that's being abused, those things that are flawed in your life. Bring them out. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. God said, I want to reason with you. I want you to resolve some issues. I want you to get some things out. Even though I dealt with you about certain little things, there's many things in our lives that God wants to bring a light to and he wants us to resolve them. He is not against us. He is for us. He's a God, look at somebody and say, he's a God of restoration. Say he's a God of rec reconciliation. He's a God of forgiveness. Now believe it and get over it. Amen. Not only did he decree that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, but he said that it would prosper and that it would overflow. Verse 17 says, cry yet. Saying this saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad and the Lord shall comfort Zion and shall choose Jerusalem. Now folks, we're not even gonna get a fraction of this sermon preached. I'll get to a certain point, maybe I'll finish it next week. But this means that Jerusalem will be so blessed that they will replenish the cities around about Judah by their overflow. Say overflow. Now get ready for it. Get ready for overflow. 
God's got a plan. God's got an idea that's involving much more bigger than just you and I. It's called overflow. You're getting more than what you can contain for yourself. I'm just about there right now. I'm about to bust. And you don't want this thing to bust. Amen. It's called divine overflow. Randy's going to get lucky because he mentioned what he was preaching. I said, said I'm going to destroy your sermon because that's what I'm not even going to probably get to where you're at. You're probably going to come in right behind me. Woo. Hallelujah. But God's got a divine overflow. We used to sing a song. Here is my cup, Lord. Fill it up. Lord, I lift it up. And I want to tell you, it's time that we as a congregation settle for nothing less than overflow. I want to tell you, I want overflow. I want more than enough. I don't want just enough. I want more. I'm, I'm stingy. I'm greedy. I want it all. If God's got it, I want it. And that settles it. And we might as well have it because it's for us. Can I have an amen? Again, it's called divine overflow. Folks, that's a word in season. I don't know. I can't get off of divine overflow. Divine overflow. That means what's on the inside is greater than what's on the inside is greater than what you can contain, and it will flow out. And guess what? It will do. It will touch others. Amen. But this means that Jerusalem will be so blessed that it will replenish the cities around Judah by overflow. Jerusalem will be so blessed that they will spread abroad their abundance, and other cities will be established and blessed as a result of them. Oh, you understand where I'm headed with this? God had promised restoration two centuries before they ever went into captivity in Isaiah chapter 14, verse one. God, I'm not reading that because of time, but God promised them, you're gonna go into captivity, you're gonna be carried away, but I'm gonna give you victory and I'm gonna give you overflow. I'm gonna bring you back to your land. I'm gonna establish you. I'm gonna make you a great nation again. Some of you that have been drifted out, God's bringing you back in. But you're not going to remain if you don't get the overflow. But notice, as soon as they decreed it, God decreed it, the horn of opposition rose up. Your horn's voices will begin to blow the minute the decree of your life begins to sound. God decrees something, the horn immediately rise up to oppose that which God decreed. God gives you a promise. The minute the promise is given, boom, the horn rises up. The horn of opposition. The moment somebody prophesies, gives you a word of wisdom, gives you a word of knowledge, every time you get inspired, boom, the horn of opposition rises up. We've been blessed last week, and guess what happened? Many of you walked out only to find another horn of resistance. What in the world's going on? I just got so blessed. Right in the midst of decreed word stands the horn of opposition. Oh, God, help me. Your growth is over, it says. You're done. You'll never achieve anything outside of where you're at right now. You're stuck right here where you're at. You'll never progress. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. That's what this this thing is saying to you. I want to start right here and say, but the four horns, even though they represent nations, yet the way that the attacks took place was symbolic of how I believe the enemy's trying to attack us. Now we know that the horn was Assyria, we know that the horn was Babylon, but the way these nations attacked, especially the Assyrians, was literally the horn of lack. It was a voice. Some wars are not fought with spears, swords, shields, some are fought with thoughts, words, um, influences, mindsets, intimidations. I got this is where I got to preach. I just found it. I just found it. I know where I'm going now. So you won't be here all day. I figured it out. So instead of a bloodbath, it's more of a deceptive order where the Assyrians are sending out when they're trying to rebuild. You don't have enough resources. You don't have enough people. The rubbish is too, too tall. The weight's too strong for what you got. You got a bunch of older people. Look, well, you can't finish this task. You've gone as far as you can go. You've done all that you can You don't have the resources. Come on. You don't have what it takes. 
You don't have the ability. You don't have the wisdom. Who do you think you are that you're going to come back and get all this stuff with just no more people than what you got? The rest of them are still in captivity. God ain't kept his promise to you. Come on now. How many of you ever come and got blessed only to see the person that you brought with you didn't get blessed and the one that didn't get delivered you discouraged you from your own deliverance? That's where these people are at. God ain't delivered you. You just got lucky that you got set free for it. They're going to come back and put you back into captivity. Don't worry about it. Come on now. Your growth is over. Your maturing's done. Your excelling is over. And your accomplishments are finished. You've gone as far as you can go. You've seen everything you can see. You've experienced everything that you can experience. And know that we've got a lid on you. We're only going to let you go so far. And then we're going to shut you down. That's exactly what the enemy's trying to do to what God set in order this last weekend. He comes in with this pettiness and he begins to speak these lies and deception and these evil thoughts over your mind. And it's not with a spear or a sword that he's coming against you. It's the deceit to attack your mind. This is what the enemy's voice will tell you right after God decrees blessing and prosperity over your life. The horn of lack intimidates through overwhelming obstacles and overwhelming odds and through reality sometimes. Amen? There's some things he says that has an element of truth to it. But the problem, he don't put the equation of the supernatural in it. Somebody look over and say, it's time to start believing in the supernatural. Reality gives way to the supernatural. Say that. Reality gives way to the supernatural. This is what happened to the first wave of people that came over to rebuild the temple, that first wave under, the, under Joshua. Remember, under the leadership of Zerubbabel, the governor, and under Joshua, the high priest, 40,000 of them, we talked about that a few weeks ago, come over to start the temple. The Jews had been humbled by their exile to Babylon, and they were hopeful in their return to the promised land. Now they're all free. They're all excited, and they come back. And with prophetic word hanging over their heads and decreed blessings from God, uh, God's own mouth spoken over them, we see that they begin to clear the rubble around the temple and they made preparations for building it. Their focus is upon the temple. Their focus is upon the presence of God. Their focus is upon doing what's right. Their focus is upon pursuing God at all costs. Their purpose is putting the kingdom of God first. Why? Because they just got delivered. They just come out of Babylonian captivity. That first wave, they're excited. They're full of resolve. They're all, they're all pumped up. And after they clear the rubble and they lay the foundations of the temple, we see that it was two years and about four months if I calculated that right. And despite their glorious beginning with their initial zeal when they first got free and their effort and their passion that they had to rebuild the temple, after two years of getting into it, they stopped due to them being mired in discouragement and derailed by a lack of focus. What God started last Sunday, or even before that, we've just been in a wave of glory for some time now. What he started, we cannot allow it to stop. Amen. Here they are, they return back, 40,000 working and just singing and fellowshipping, but somewhere in that two year and four month process, you know what happened? They got discouraged. Somehow the enemy defeated them. It was the Assyrians. You know how they were sitting there provoking, always speaking negative things to them, and they bought into the lies of the enemy. Don't buy into the lies of the enemy. God's got overflow. Say it. Keep the focus on the overflow, folks. Until you're overflowing, you ain't got it all. So quit sitting there like you do. Amen. There's more to pursue than what we got right now. Don't be filled and satisfied, but get overflowed. God say overflow. Overflow. Be overflowed here. This I'm just expecting somebody right now just to get overflowed and just turn this service inside out. Amen. And I got any overflowing people here this morning. My, 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 my. Somehow problems overcame their passion and their effort gave way to circumstances. Listen, just because God touched us in the way he's touching us does not take the fact away. The horn's still there. Opposition's still there. If you wait for opposition to go away, it's gonna be when they carry you out in a casket. And then the devil's gonna fight over your body just like he did Moses, but God's gonna contend. 
Amen? They faced intense opposition, both external and internal. Don't have time to get into all of that. Ezra chapter four talks about the external, the things out there the Assyrians were doing. Haggai deals with the internal problems. And the internal problem was this. Just to hurry up and to get through a lot of this message this morning, their internal problems was that they began to put more focus upon their own interest than they did on the interest of God. And this is when the old prophet by the name of Haggai comes in. He says, what in the world is going on here? I don't, know, I don't know the actual age of the prophet at this time, but according to the word of the Lord that this Haggai, the prophet, seen the former temple and it's all of its glory back in 586 B.C. So this tells me that this man is up in his 80s and possibly even 90s. It's quite how old he was when he seen that temple. 70 years has passed and he was a child maybe or he might have been a young adult. I don't know. I can't find anything that says. But I want you to know he's up in his 80s at least. Here's an older man looking back on the former glories of his nation. He's not discouraged, but he's empowered with a passionate desire to see his people rise up from the ashes of exile. And he's desiring that they reclaim the rightful place as God's light to the nations. Do you hear what God's saying? That God wants to what? Make us a light to the nations. God wants something so great, so overflowing here that it cannot be denied that it's God. Where people can't come in and pick it to death and it be on the edge where I don't know if that's right or wrong. There's no question about it. It's going to be a move of God to where people cannot question it. It'll be a light in a dark place. Can I have an amen? It's called divine overflow. Divine overflow. He's not discouraged, but he's empowered with this passion. He's not thinking that it's impossible to rebuild. He's not negative or downhearted in his heart toward Judah's future. Matter of fact, he isn't speaking doom and gloom, but here is an old man that looks at the past, and even though he appreciates that past, even though that past was great, yet he puts more emphasis upon their future. And I want to tell you, folks, it's time that we could quit putting all of our attention and all of our, uh, our, our focus on our past and start looking to our future. He isn't crying over what has been, but he's excited of what shall be. He's a man of vision. He's a man of hope. He's a man of inspiration. And how many knows without vision people perish? Can I have an amen? After the first return, they worked for two years and stopped, and the work was literally shut down. 16 years passed before Haggai appears on the scene, and during those difficult years of the return from the exile, he comes to give them both a word of encouragement but a word of rebuke. How many knows that sometimes it's not only blessing that we need, we need correction. But how many knows that correction is blessing? There'll be no overflow without correction. God help me here. Haggai gave four separate messages. Four messages is all he preached. This is so sad to me. He preached, my goodness, I hope I can preach more than four sermons in my lifetime. He preaches four messages and he is so thorough, he dates them. He's one of, the, one of the only prophets that actually, not the only, but one of the only that actually put the actual date of his message down in, in record. The first one was on August the 29th, 520 B.C. The second one was October the 17th, 520 B.C. And the second and third were simultaneously. He preached two sermons in one, and that's what I'm doing here this morning. And that was on December the 18th, 2050. Or five, <laughs> dear God, I've just done blowed. I'm prophesying now. He's coming back to life. <laughs> Maybe through somebody. <laughs> December the 18th, 520 B.C. Got my tongue tied. And it was through these four messages over a period of three months from October to December that it encouraged the people of Judah to finish the temple, to have hope in God for the promise of the blessings in their future. Three months, four messages, boom. Got them stirred up. That was the end of Haggai's ministry. Waited around 80 years to be able to preach. When he gets to preach, he preaches four messages and boom, his ministry's over. What in the world's that all about? How in the world's that even possible? Four messages is all the man gets to preach, but I want to tell you, they were some of the most powerful messages that Israel would ever hear and some of the most important. And he preaches four sermons. 
And you know what? It's amazing that it just took just four messages to help them overcome an 18-year setback. Now, hold it. You know what? God spoke. Now, let's, hey, we just go right through that. Don't even pay attention, do we? God spoke to me and he told me to tell somebody here that there's a turnaround coming and know that the, 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 the turnaround is going to be fast and it's going to be accelerated. There's going to be an accelerated comeback. Eighteen years of setback is turned around with four messages in three months. You know what God can do in three months? Woo, you know what God can do just in one service? Look at somebody and say, overflow can come in one service. Amen? 18 years of idleness, 18 years of barrenness, 18 years of mediocrity, and four messages changing. Oh, how powerful the word of God is. And we need to get the word of God into our spirit. Now, this is where I'm gonna have to kind of watch out I'll get on Randy's territory because we gotta get the things he's spoken, the things he's decreed, the things he's prophesied, and the written word of God, folks, we gotta get it in our hearts. If we're gonna, over, if we're gonna see what God says, we gotta have the word of God in us, those things that God has decreed over our lives. We gotta believe them. We gotta know them. <laughs> because this opposition ain't just gonna walk away and let us have a good church. Are you ready? Amen. And I want you to understand that God has decreed a lot of things over all of us. God's given this church a lot of prophecies. And in the midst of prophecies, boom, an evil head of horns sticks its head way up, head up and hinders for years. God to speak over the, a family. All of a sudden, somebody get all excited and then through manipulation and deceit and words and attacks and discouragement, overwhelming obstacles and situations just going sour. All of a sudden, that which God has spoken is no longer seen and the very voice of the horn is more powerful than the spoken word of God because we have believed the lies of the enemy more than believing the word of God. Here's God decreeing all these wonderful things and the horn rises up. With prophecy hanging over their heads, decree by the spoken word of God hanging over them, they chose to believe the voice of the horn more than believing the voice of God. And because of it, the seed of promise lay dormant for 18 years. How long are you going to lay in dormant because you're going to believe more of what the enemy says about you than what God says about you? It's time to start believing. Amen. It's time to say, hey, I've had enough of this nonsense. I've had enough of these lies. I've had enough of the intimidation, the downcasting, the smearing, the judging, and the condemnation, and the guilt, and all of that stuff. I'm born again. I'm saved. I'm blood bought, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven, I'm a child of God, I'm an heir of the king. And he whom the son has set free is free indeed. I am a chosen, I am his apple of his eye, I am literally his chosen possession, and if God be for me, who can be against me? Devil, you might as well get out of here. You might as well quit whispering to me. I'm not buying into your lies. I'm not listening to your intimidations and these smoke screens where it seems like that the odds are against me, yet the supernatural is the reality in my life. The forces against me is not near as big as the forces that is with me. Lie on, speak on, laugh on, throw all kinds of smoke screens, make it rough, all you want. But I hear four carpenters coming. Who are these carpenters? They're the ones that come and take the enemy by the nap of the neck and remove them out of their place. I don't have all time to preach it. Lord knows, oh, I got good stuff. I want to tell you, everybody says, why do you do that? Because if I don't have an overflow, how can you have one? 
If I want to gulch myself and get more than enough, that's my business. I do it in the spiritual, and it's evident I do a pretty good job of it in the natural. <laughs> Amen. But watch. I wish I could go to my notes because I got every little word just perfect. I'm going to close with this, I think. God says, okay, Jerusalem, what's happened? Why more work progressed? Haggai comes on the scene, expecting to see the temple built, or part of it at least. And he comes, and there's only a foundation after 18 years. What in the world have y'all been doing? I was wanting to get into the part. This is this is real bad, but people do it all the time. They made all these excuses. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough clothing. We don't have enough strength, we're weak, we don't have enough resources. And the reason they didn't have enough resources is because God said, they said, we sown a bunch, but we bring in little. It's because God blew upon it. He cursed it. Why? Because they went and built their own houses and got interested in their own work before the work of the Lord. And God said, you put the work of yourselves before the work of the Lord. And because you put your interest first, I have cursed you. Until this temple's built, nothing's going to go right. And y'all might as well come to the resolve until you get your temple right. Nothing else is going to go right. God said, I blew up on it. He said, oh, you had clothes, but you were not warm. You had drink, but you were still thirsty. You had food, but it did not satisfy. And he said, you sold much, but you brought in little because I blew up on it. And then they said, well, we can't give none of those excuses. So they make up a lame excuse for it is not time yet for the house to be built. They lost focus on the whole reason why they were to return. And you know what happens to a lot of churches? They don't even know why they exist. They lost the purpose because with the return came an accountability and responsibility to the purpose of God. This church ain't for us just to come here and get our thrills, but when we get our thrills and our infilling, there's a purpose behind it, an accountability and a responsibility for it. Amen. To whom much is given, much is required. Am I preaching all right, Connie? Woo, just touch me there, honey. And here we are. It's not time to be built. Haggai sitting there scratching his head. What do you mean it's not time to build? That's why y'all were saying, well, the prophecy says, they knew the word, that after 70 years, God would bring us back to do the work of the temple. Didn't say that. It said after seven years, he would lead his people out of Babylon. They would return back and to repair the breaches. Okay, but here's the problem. That first wave was actually released right before, prior to the 70th year. So they were saying 70 years ain't accomplished yet, so the prophecy don't apply to us. So what we're going to do is just sit around here and wait for the other waves to come. So we can have more help. Well, it's not fair for us to have to build it all and they don't have to. They don't understand with divine blessing and divine privilege comes responsibility. How many would rather have been out the first wave than the second or the third wave? Amen? They didn't even look at that as a privilege. So they come back and they're saying it ain't time yet and Haggai tears them up. You don't want him preaching here. Not that message. Oh, is it time for you to live in your sealed houses in this house life and waste? And then God says, you tell this people. He didn't even call them my people that time. He said this people. He wouldn't call them his own people. He's mad. He's upset. God's offended. Haggai is bold enough to tell them. He's not a watered down type of guy. He's bold. And he gets in there and he says, this saith the Lord. And all of a sudden, them four carpers, them angelic beings come down and anoint him. And through that message, all of a sudden, it stirred the spirit of Zerubbabel. It stirred the spirit of Joshua the high priest. And it stirred the remnant of the people. <laughs> it didn't just stir leadership, honey. It stirred the whole congregation. I like 
like to be blessed, but it's no good if you're not blessed. And I want to tell you, this church has been touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. This church has been overflowing. And you know what it's for? So that he can exalt the palace of praise. Through your overflow, just like Jerusalem's overflow, the subdor, subdor, sub, the subsidies out there that were lying desolate, that were ruined, were built back and established by the residue and the overflow of what Jerusalem had. Folks, I'm just going to be honest and I'm going to close. There's a lot of churches in America that have the earmarks by their own statistics, by what they record every year, of being them 18-year people sitting idle and slothful with divine decree and divine prophecy hanging over their head. Very few are kingdom churches that are learning how to operate in the spirit. How do I know it? Because there's no prosperity or forward advancement. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is at, and whether he's, where he's got control, and where he's flowing, there will always be prosperity, there will be blessings. You know what someone told me the other day? They lived back over there by the church where we pulled out from and said, the moment that your church moved from out of Ninth and Cedar and come over there on that hill in 14, he said, our, our, our neighborhood had a void just like that. And he said, from that day on, that neighborhood's went down. Just the void of your presence being over there on that hill. People have not took pride in their homes. People have not took pride in their properties. He just went on. He said, it happened immediately on your departure. You say, you really believe that? I absolutely believe it. And I'm here to declare unto you, this is what the Lord is saying to Kit Miller, that he wants to raise this church up just like he raised Jerusalem and prosper it. How can God have a kingdom if he don't bless the people in which the kingdom revolves around? God wants to prosper it to the point that when we go out of these walls, we are like a river of life that flows right down, the, the, right down into, the, into the, uh, the driveway, out into the streets, into the workplaces. And everywhere we go, there's a presence of divine overflow. And through our overflow, guess what happens? Other cities, other homes, and other families, and other neighborhoods, and others' children are what brought to life but what God's doing right here. But you gotta believe it. You gotta believe it. How many believe that God's declared overflow over your life? Come on, stand with me. You believe it? How many believe that God's declared greatness over you? How many believe that God's declared wholeness over you? Well, Brother Miller, you don't understand. I come up there and prayed and I got touched and everything. But man, obstacles and everything, just it don't matter. That's the horn. Which one are you going to believe? Which one are you going to listen to? Which one's going to have the most influence over you? I'm ready for overflow. I'm gonna bless Jerusalem. I'm gonna pour out my spirit. And through them, all of Israel is gonna be restored by the beauty of their overflow. Everything they touch is gonna be blessed. Everywhere they go, I'm gonna work with them. There'll be supernatural abundance. There's gonna be that place that was famine is gonna be brought to green pastures. That place which was dry and parched is gonna become a well water plain. Those things of opposition are gonna... Them four horsemen... Them four carpenters. If we'll seek the Lord, find his favor, put his interest first, we're going to have a holy visitation from four carpenters. What does carpenters do? They rebuild. What do they do? They structure. What do they do? They build a holy inhabitation. God's going to put our hands not to war with a sword. God's going to put our, a trial in our hands and we're going to get to work. We're going to get to work in the building of the kingdom of God. God showed me a vision. 
in my mind of how that as the river flowed out from the pulpit in the book of Ezekiel, out from the threshold of the pulpit, went down through the sanctuary, went out the doors, out in the streets until it became a mighty river. God spoke to me and he said, Kent, that's what I want to do with the palace. I want to make them that mighty river. A friend of mine calls me. He said, I just don't know if this means anything to you at all. But the Lord spoke to me concerning you. And he told me to tell you that the palace is going to become a mighty river. <laughs> that river is, he said, I seen it as if it was the Mississippi River. And he said, it started out as a trickle. But he said, by the time it went further downstream, the wider, the deeper it got. And he said, all of a sudden, I just looked at it and said, oh my Lord. He said, what is this? And he says, that's that trickle that started at the Palace of Praise. And this is not the end result. This is the middle result of what I'm doing. And he showed him you know, the, a river as big as the Mississippi. Overflow in abundance. Overflow in abundance. Why settle for anything less? The thief cometh not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. John 10, 10. Amen? Amen. And what God's wanting to do is something supernatural. But Brother Miller, you don't understand. I got so blessed. Yeah, that don't take away the horn of opposition. It's there. Listen, believe what God has declared. But I don't feel it. It don't matter that you don't feel it. I had to get up this morning and remind the devil, hey, buddy, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Hey, I had to tell him because he's been warning me over this sermon. He said, you've got too much. You'll never finish it. And you're going to butcher it because you're going to try to get out there without your notes. And you're not going to say the things. Blah, 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 blah. And you know what I'm privileged to do this morning? Rub it in his face. Are we the palace of praise? Have we been called to greatness? Have we been called to anointing? Have we been called to power? Have we been called to supernatural events? Then why don't we continually seek them, desire them? And the things that are hindering us in the process, don't get beat up over it. Have a resolve. That's all God's saying. I want to tell you, I had a resolve here just last night. It won't be the last resolve I'll have in this journey. Amen? God's really wanting to do something. And the Lord spoke to me in the sermon. It's right in there at about page somewhere. How that God did not move for 18 years until there was a spark of someone that started that spark, which was a prophet, because of the fact that God will pursue the sinner, but when it comes to the righteous, he commands that we make the first move. He went after the little lost lamb that was lost in innocence, but he didn't go after the prodigal son. And I want to tell you something. He did not go after Israel in bondage until he heard their cry. Amen? And our move of our step of obedience is us activating literally the presence of God because God sits immobile until we make the first move. And God's saying, do you want an overflow? And the Lord just, this is what the Lord told me. He said, the people, if they're not careful, they'll get satisfied with what they had. But what they had was just a foretaste of what I want to give. And I want them to keep on seeking me until I give an overflow. And he said, with that overflow, if they don't learn how to give out, the res- it will stop being filled. For the measure that you give out is the measure that you're going to get. And he said, but when you start giving out, I'm going to replace it with 30 and 60 and 100 fold. So that means that if you receive and you give out, it doesn't matter how much you give out, you're going to always gain more than what you ever gave out. You can't give it away. You can't use it fast enough. Come on. 
When the devil says, you're too old, you're too weak, you're too stupid, you're too frail, you're, you're done, You'll never, you've experienced all you've ever experienced, you've seen all that you've ever experienced, your growth is over, you've been in, told this over and over and over in your whole life, you're 60 years old now and you've never moved, well, it's time to show that senior citizens can have an accelerated comeback. Amen. Hallelujah. It don't matter that you've had 60 years of sitting idle. Hey, there's a 60 year, first year coming. I'm asking you this morning to come up and say, God, give us overflow. That's what the Lord's put in my spirit. Give us overflow. Give me overflow. Give me more than enough. I don't want to just be satisfied where I'm at and say, well, I don't really need anything else. I'm full. I'm all right where I'm at. No, 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 no. God says, I want to give you more than what you've ever experienced. I want you to see more than what you've ever seen. Don't let the devil lie to you, that horn. He's a liar. Somebody's here saying, I've walked in this mess, talking about, I guess, their home. I've walked in this mess for so many years. I've heard encouraging sermons, and I get on the right track, but I never see it come to fruition. I just keep on trying to live by faith, but that's getting annoying, and I'm tired of this. Ask God for overflow. Come on, ask for overflow. Lift your hands and begin to pursue the presence of God. Say, God, I pursue your presence. I need some anointed people. They have a touch of overflow in their lives and start praying for the people. John, I need you to start singing. Come on. I need some anointed helpers, my, my, my elders, and my lay hands on people. We got to have overflow. By your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of the resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. By your Spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me in your name.
divine overflow give the Lord a hand clap of praise this is just the beginning this is not the end God wants to keep your spirit stirred when there is a depressed spirit there will be no work of the Lord done and there will be no favor and when the work of the Lord's not done, the whole city, the whole nation suffered. But when Zerubbabel was stirred, and when Joshua was stirred, and when the remnant was stirred, God was stirred. God began to bless. Keep your spirit stirred. People say, well, you don't need all this emotion. It ain't emotion, it's presence. You're working out of overflow. You're working out of Sabbath. You don't work seven, six days and then rest. You rest, and out of the rest, you work. It's the presence of God. Oh, may the Lord bless you. Come out tonight. we got a great word for you. It's going to be fantastic. Look at somebody, give them a high five, and say, be overflowed. In Jesus' name.
see is red.